Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Try Faster podcast. My name is Keith Kotar, and I'm joined by my friend, Michael Mansfield. How's it going, Michael? Hey, very good, Keith. Happy to be here. Great. Uh, so we're going to bring you a slightly different episode than we've had. We're, we've been playing around with the format, I think, the last couple episodes. And today we're going to touch on a, our own personal training to kick off and just some of our, our own updates. And then we'll get into our main topic, uh, which today is going to be just talking you through uh, what your base period might look like, the different types of base training you can have. And um, since it's that time of year, everybody's starting to make that transition into the base phase. And then we're going to uh, hit on a couple new segments and we'll have a, a workout of the episode and then we'll have some, some questions that aren't related to the topic necessarily. So if any of you uh, listeners have some questions, feel free to put them in the comments or shoot us an email or contact us on our, on our social media and we can put some questions into the podcast. And then uh, yeah, to finish up, go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say, you know, you can catch our Instagram handles uh, in the description show notes. Uh, or you could also do a hashtag try faster. We'll take a look at all of those Instagram posts. If you have a question, put it in there, we'll catch it and we'll put it in the show. Yep. That sounds good. Um, so just, you, you know how to find us. So, uh, shoot us some messages and we can, we can answer your questions on the show. And then, uh, at the end of the episode, we'll touch on some of the recent news since we haven't recorded for about a week and a half. We've had two race weekends go by. So there's some news to, to hit on. So, uh, Michael, what's been going on with you? Uh, so really important to kind of preface, um, last time we kind of gave an update on our own training, it was probably like two weeks, um, post quote unquote off season. And I think I was feeling super confident where everything was at workouts were relatively short and easy. And I had not really gotten into weightlifting yet. So the, the biggest update I would like to provide is that as we're getting into the base training of my own season, um, once you start mixing in weightlifting, it drastically changes the perceived uh, difficulty of every single workout. Weightlifting, short, high intensity, speed, sprint workouts, all of that ha has really changed um, how my body is feeling. Right now, the quads are torn up, uh, the hamstrings are tired. Um, pretty much everything is feeling tired. And when I look at it, I don't feel like I'm doing a whole lot of work. So a um, little beat up, but feeling pretty good because I know all of this is just going to relate to progress. And we're going to talk about it here shortly. Base training is really the foundation for what's to come. So I'm excited about all that and really excited that there's more lifting and everything going on right now, this time of year for me. So um, that that's kind of the first update. And then the second update, um, also a couple episodes we talked about, Keith was uh, I was going out to pick up a gravel bike and happy to report that had the gravel bike last week here in Illinois, we had amazing weather for the middle of November. And I was able to get outside and ride on the gravel bike four times over the course of that week. And my first impression, and I'm trying not to like, Hey, Oh, Michael, you just spent a bunch of money on this bike. So you better love it. But seriously, being out on gravel was my first time on gravel. It's epic. I think if you are considering or, or have thought, Hey, this could be fun would be something I'd like to try. I would totally encourage you to give it a go. It's awesome. I have, I don't know, 50 to a hundred miles of 
of gravel right behind my house that I have easy access to. And it is seriously epic is the only word to describe it. I saw zero cars while I was out there. Um, so completely safe. Uh, it's a blast and a gravel bike, the bigger tires. One thing I was concerned about before my first ride was, Hey, like I know my road bike, even on the road is seriously bumpy. Um, how's a gravel bike going to do on gravel? Like, is there going to be a certain amount of bumps and, and, and Hey, how beat up is my body going to be from it? But, um, 40 millimeter tires, gravel bike geometry. It was awesome. Yeah. I'm going to have to get in that, that sometime. Not yet. But, you need uh, a gravel bike. <laughs> I know. I, I, one of these days I want to pick up cyclocross again. I think it's about that time for those, those races so that maybe I can, I'll transition to gravel at some point. Um, but, uh, any, any other uh, training updates? I can definitely sympathize with your, your hard workouts. Cause I think a lot of those sprint workouts, you feel like you did a lot and you beat your legs up. And then uh, if you're looking at the TSS or anything like that and training peaks, it basically thinks you did nothing and you're not tired at all. Yeah. Uh, but the next day you can't walk. So I know it's, yeah. it's, it's horrible. We'll talk about that hopefully a little bit here, uh, later in the show, but, um, no, that that's pretty much it for me. How's, how's your training going? How's your season been? It's good. It's, this was a nice weekend. I think the, the family was happy because, uh, we've had either a triathlon or out of town cross country six weekends in a row. And so this was the first weekend with nothing. And I think uh, it was nice, nice to not have to go anywhere with too much urgency other than normal practices and things like that. So that was pretty nice. Um, training wise, I'm getting there. I, I think this was the most training I've done in quite a while. I might've actually reached double digit hours or pretty close to it last week. And it's been probably four or five months since I've done that. So, um, it felt good, good to work out a little bit and I'm not quite where you are yet. I think my fitness is a little bit behind. I, I'm just kind of doing easy stuff, a little bit of speed here and there. I'm chasing the, the young guys around at practice a little bit. So they kind of keep me going fast and, uh, just kind of having fun. And, uh, what else is going on? We've got, uh, finally, uh, this was the big news. I don't think I've told you yet. TCU finally posted their triathlon coach job. And so it's been, uh, 22 months wait since they first announced that it was going to happen. And so I got a, got an email from them that the, the job was live and, and sent my application in, uh, about 10 days ago. So we're just waiting for a callback. Awesome. But, uh, if you're, if you're a local, then you know that they're working on getting a football coach right now. So I think that's the higher priority. I heard Deion, <laughs> San, Deion Sanders was on campus interviewing last week. So oh, I just don't understand. a little behind. <laughs> <laughs> I think the triathlon team needs a coach more than the football team. So, all right. Yeah. Um, well, happy to hear that, that you're finally, it sounds like you're getting into your off season, which we talked a little bit about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then soon you'll be you'll be getting into your base. But uh, since that's the topic of, the, of today, let's jump into it. Uh, traditional base, reverse period period periodization base. There's a lot of different topics. But before we get into the details, Keith, why do we need to even have base training? So I think the the first part with base training is that we're kind of just setting up our season, and so. We, some people like to look at it with lots of volume. Some people are a little bit lower volume, but I think it's a time that we lower the volume of intensity, but we don't necessarily have to lower the intensity. And so 
even if you're training the same number of hours, there's probably more time spent at the lower effort levels, but we might have some time where we're really at the max. And that's, that's something that we're going to talk about with the reverse periodization base that um, is a little bit on the newer side, but that's, that's why it's kind of, it's going to set us up for the rest of the year. It's going to be that foundation period. Okay. Okay. So let's get into, let's dig a little deeper then. What is base training then? Um, certainly for, for me as a athlete with limited knowledge of this, this just means I, Hey, I'm just going to keep my intense. Does this, does this just mean I'm going to keep my intensity down? I'm not going to do too much hard work. Uh, and I'm going to monitor the volume, do what I want kind of when I want, or is there still structure here in the training? I think you can have a little bit of both, but I, I think that one of the things that we can do when we're incorporating speed into our base training is maybe you don't need to have structure as in, you know, during the season, you might run six times a mile at your half Ironman pace with one minute rest. And you kind of have this structured set in your head. But if you're out there doing uh, one of our neuromuscular workouts during the winter, it might just be running eight seconds fast, six or eight times with plenty of rest in between. And you can just jog around for four or five minutes. And then when you're ready, you do the next one. And so I think at this time of year, we're trying to go as fast as we can, and we're not trying to build cumulative fatigue with each rep. So taking as much time between intervals as you can. And that's something that I think a lot of, a lot of triathletes definitely have a hard time with is taking their time between because they want to get tired, but we're not really necessarily doing workouts where we want to get tired. We just want to go fast. And, and so that's part of the, um, and during this period, right, you're just trying to get your speed up, but we're not trying to create a bunch of fatigue from that speed. Okay. Honestly, it, a lot of this just from a non-technical athlete perspective, that's me, everybody, uh, is kind of confusing. So maybe there's others listening that are kind of like me and say, okay, so what the heck does this look like? Right. Like give me an example. And you even mentioned a couple different types of base training, but like give, give us more examples of what do these workouts look like and what the purpose of them would be. Right. And so I think the first place to start is kind of with what are, what the traditional base period is and kind of how we've learned, you know, I think for athletes, at least our age and older, probably grew up where you, when you were in high school, right. You're, cross-country coach probably just had you running lots of easy miles over the summer and there wasn't a whole lot of structure. And I think when we mm -hmm. look back at some of the older coaches, um, you know, where, where they're running lots and lots of miles, but there's not really any speed in there. I think that somewhere along the line, some of this was kind of lost in translation. And I think when you look at the two, probably the biggest, uh, self-coaching publications, um, that would be the triathletes training Bible, I think was the highest selling book for, for triathletes. And then if you look at a book like Daniel's running formula, that's the highest selling running coaching book ever. Uh, both of them, when they kind of go through their, their base period, um, Jack Daniels talks about you're just getting a, a few weeks of miles in, and then he kind of tells you to add in some strides, but it's not an emphasis. And it's kind of the same thing when you read Joe Friel's book. He talks about speed skills in there, but he doesn't, when he, when he talks about the speed skills workouts, it's more like drills and fundamental things, one-legged cycling, things like that, but it's not fast. And I think 
that at some point in time, no one explained well what the speed was, but it's always been there. And so if you look at a lot of running books where they're, they'll talk about you're running lots of easy miles, but make sure you're doing strides. I think there's never been enough emphasis on you're running those strides really, really fast. And we're trying to get our legs used to turning over, or we're trying to get our arms spinning really fast in the pool, as opposed to thinking about technique, we're just trying to go fast and kind of increase our top end. Because if our top end is higher, then we're more comfortable at the zones that we race in. Does that make sense? It, it does. And so what you're telling me, especially in my, you're right, my early days of cross country and pretty much every year of my self coach career, I was doing it wrong. Uh, Cause you're right. I didn't, I didn't think that uh, even strides was that important. It was all base training was just, Hey, go out there and the most uh, get as much time in swimming biking, running as you can. And even there, it doesn't even matter as much as, as what discipline you get it in, just get as much time as you can to build the cardiovascular system, your aerobic capacity so that in the season, you can use that aerobic capacity to build different strengths. That's, that's how I thought of it. Uh, and, and I never thought of it in any other way. Right. And I think that that follows the, the traditional base model where basically um, I use running as an example because I think it's probably the one that most people are familiar with that that's during that time, you're not really doing lots of speed and you're just doing lots of, of easy running. Right. Um, and so that kind of takes us to where the, this reverse periodization base comes in. Um, or if you want to, sometimes I think you can call it like a funnel periodization is the way that I look at it. And so I, uh, since this is a podcast, we can't show a picture, but if you're, um, imagining a graph and we've got a line that starts really high on the graph and then gets lower. And then we've got a line that starts at the bottom of the graph and then they meet right in the middle over time. And so that kind of shows that at your base period, you, all of your intensity. So if you're, you're up and down or your Y axis on your graph is your intensity. Um, as time goes on, most of your intensity is either very, very low or very, very high in the beginning. And then as time goes on, we get closer and closer to that specific intensity that we need for race day. So that line that started on the bottom end of the graph is going towards the middle. Then the line that was on the top end of the graph is also going towards the middle. And so um, that first line is kind of representing that really, really high end speed. And then with time, that's going to allow us to start to introduce I think what most people would call their VO2 max type workouts, right? And then that kind of gets to the threshold range and then to your race pace. And then the line on the bottom is the easy running that kind of progresses into tempo runs and then progresses into something at race pace. And so that when we get to the specific point of the year, then most of your work is going to be very specific. And it might not be a long period of time. It might just be a few weeks when we're in that really specific phase, but your pace or power is going to go from really, really high intensity or really, really low intensity to meet in the middle where we're spending lots of time at our race intensity. All right. So again, from the athlete perspective here, um, patience is key because, yes. and this is what I tell myself, uh, cause it's so hard to go easy. Uh, and you've already alluded to it. It's like, sometimes we don't go easy enough. 
or the easy interval isn't long enough or we try to cut it short. I've had that thought many times already in the handful of weeks that we've been in the base training session uh, or period for myself. It, it is so hard to be like, no, this is, I, why would I need to go easy and right at 60% threshold for four or five minutes before I do another effort? Cause I feel fine after one or two minutes. Um, it is so hard to be patient. So that's definitely something I would urge a lot of people to, to keep in mind is there's a plan for all of this and it's important to be patient. But with that said, how, how long do I need to be patient, Keith? Uh, cause you're really testing me right now. Like, so like, what, how does this transform over the course of time? Is there like an ideal amount of time that we're in this base period and we have really, really long intervals and we're doing neuromuscular work? Um, or can this just go on forever and keep benefiting from it? like, how do we transition through this? How long does this have to last? So I think, I think all of this kind of depends on the athlete and, and maybe we'll have an episode later where we talk about periodization as, as its own topic. But for most of the athletes that I have, we, I generally try to spend about six to eight weeks in this period. And I usually try to have about six build weeks, so to speak. So if we have, you know, two weeks of, of on and maybe one week of a little less intensity, then that's only two weeks of our cycle, depending on how much we can get done during that recovery week. So for most of my athletes that aren't kind of in the upper master's range, if we do three weeks on one week off, we'll end up spending about two months in this period. And I think that works pretty well if you're looking at it, you know, in April or May, early season, a race, most people, you know, they've been winding down in October. And so we can spend November, December working on the base. And then when we get into January, that's when all of those neuromuscular workouts kind of drift toward more like a VO2 max type workout. And then all those easier days, we might start to throw in a tempo session here and there, and we can wait a little while. But I think that to get the most out of the stimulus, you really need to do it a couple times a week. And so this is one of those things where if you're going really, really fast on the run, but you only do it once a week, you're not really going to get a whole lot out of it. And so we want to do it in every sport. So you can get through four or five fast sessions in every week during this phase. And I, I really generally treat all of my phases like that too. So once we get to the VO2 max phase, you know, we might have two VO2 rides and one VO2 run and two VO2 swims because we want to make sure that we are fully maximizing that stimulus because we're not really going to get adaptation if we're only doing that once a week or once every other week. So help, help, help those people that are listening. Um, and I know a little bit later, we're going to be starting to share some, um, weekly workouts uh, with everyone that's listening, but like, what does the training plan look like or sample type of structure for swim bike run? So I think we'll, we'll do them in order like that. I think a yeah. lot of people, they, you can look at a, a sprint swim and people think that a hundred is a sprint, but even for an elite swimmer, right? A hundred is not a sprint because in most people, you can really only hold your top end effort for about 30 seconds. And then we start changing energy systems, which again, I think that might be a topic for another day, but 30 seconds is really about the max amount of time you can sprint. And so, um, I think most triathletes, at least age groupers, 
we're assuming probably moderate ability in the pool. Most age groupers couldn't sprint to 50 in less than 30 seconds, right? I think the average person. Mm-hmm. And so you can sprint 25s. Some of my athletes, we just do 12 strokes really fast. And so they're only really swimming half the pool, give or take. Mm-hmm. And so that they can go as fast as they can and then sp- spend plenty of time on the recovery. And so usually what I like to do is we'll kind of cycle through in the swim and we'll do some 25s and then we'll kind of sprinkle in, you know, one fast 25 and then three easy 25s um, or one and two, depending on, on where the athlete is. And then we might get to some fifties, but the fifties will be with lots of rest because especially early in the year, we need to be a little bit more careful that these fifties don't turn into a, a VO2 max type workout. Because if you start to stack these fifties too close together, then your heart rate never comes down and your arms are probably just dying after mm-hmm. two or three really fast fifties. And so for a lot of my athletes, I'll say swim one really fast 50 and then swim 150 easy in between. So we're talking three, four minutes in between again before we go fast. And so we'll kind of progress through these. We may do 10 to 15 strokes really fast and then we'll do some 25s. And again, this is why it takes us through about eight weeks because we can kind of layer on the next progression of each of each um, workout so that it kind of gets to the next level and the next level as we go. Uh, maybe add a little bit more volume. So maybe they're doing 10 fast 25s one week and then a couple weeks later they're doing 12 or 13, but really that's probably about the max because again, for an age grouper, that's going to total up to about four minutes of sprinting, which is a lot of, of really fast running. Mm-hmm. So um, on the bike, uh, we kind of go through a similar progression. We'll do eight or 10 second sprints and then kind of progress those up to about 20 seconds. And then maybe we'll add, you know, we'll start at four or five 20 second sprints and then we'll add those to maybe eight. I think eight is about the max. Uh, how do you feel after eight? I know we, we recently had a yeah. eight, eight by 20 seconds. I feel, I feel good with all the sprinting on the trainer. And this is probably, um, the exact opposite of a lot of people, because I, I suspect most people can get out and ride more than I do. At least that's how I feel. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I do most of my training indoors on the trainer and I feel more comfortable with 15 to 20 second sprints or at least as hard as you can go type efforts. Uh, I feel like 20 seconds is a little long for a sprint for, for me personally. Um, but 20 second hard, as hard as you can go all out effort. My technique though, when I like this last week, when I was outside four out of a, four times on the gravel bike, my technique is so terrible on the bike when I'm trying to sprint outdoors that it just, I don't feel like I'm able to hit the same power. It was probably also a little bit of a challenge being on gravel paths that are pretty windy. So like to actually get a stretch where you can rip it for 15 to 20 seconds was a little bit was was another obstacle that you had to try to overcome but yeah i i like it i I love those types of workouts and um you know 20 seconds is a stretch eight seconds is easy um for an all-out type max effort uh, i felt like 20 seconds somewhere around the 12 to 15 seconds it was going away from pure neuro neuromuscular effort into something a little bit less yeah Yeah. And that's something we should add is if you are sprinting in any of these three sports, uh, sorry for my dogs there. Uh, If you are sprinting in any of the three sports, make sure you're doing it in a safe place. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, cause there, there was one time I was out on the gravel and I didn't, I'm still learning these trip, these, um, paths out by my house. And I, I hit a corner that I didn't realize was so sharp. And I was, I was in pretty much locked up the back wheel and almost went off the path. So absolutely good point, Keith, be safe, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure that, that, uh, you're, you're, if you're doing the bike on the road, make sure you've got a safe stretch with low traffic you know, yeah. and uh, you can do it safely. Same thing on the run. If you're, especially if you're sharing a path with cyclists or something, make sure that you're not about to run in front of a cyclist or anything like that. So um, on the run, we, we follow a similar progression depending on the athlete, because what we're usually looking for is about six to eight seconds to start. And then we'll progress that out. And we really don't want to be longer than 20 seconds, like you said. And so uh, for some athletes, maybe it's 40 meters or so. And then we'll progress 40 meters, 60 meters, 80 meters, get up to about 100 meters of fast running. And again, an athlete that maybe doesn't quite have the top end speed, we might cut them off at about 80 meters because that's probably enough before we start to kind of shift, again, shifting energy systems. And so we'll layer on that speed. And then at this time of year, like I said before, we're just trying to get that, get comfortable at the higher end um, so that when you actually come back down, everything starts to feel a little bit easier. So, you know, like for someone like Michael, if he's doing these reps on the bike at 200 ish percent of his FTP, then whenever we get to a VO two max workout where he's at 120 or 130%, it's, it's still going to be very hard, but it's going to feel a lot more manageable than mm -hmm. sustaining 200% of your FTP. Right. And VO two has always felt painful sprints on the bike have never been terrible but when we talk about the run and i alluded to it a little bit earlier like as a triathlete as someone who's like pure slow twitch muscle uh, or only trains the slow twitch muscle some of you might be thinking oh michael you're being a little you're being a little bit dramatic but i promise you i'm not this last week we did six to eight second sprint efforts um up four up a hill uh four on flat ground and my quads are torched from it. It's just torched. And we we're talking, so yeah, eight seconds times eight um effort. So 64 seconds of total, you know, super high as as hard as you can go efforts. And I felt it during the workout. I felt it later in the day. You prescribed me a, a weight session that that evening. I couldn't do it. I just said my legs weren't up for it. It impacted my run the next day and my run this weekend. Um, luckily, like on the bike, everything was still fine. So I was able still to, to get in quite a bit of, of work. But that workout, that was the first one that we've had on the calendar, is so difficult. If you haven't done it, if you're not training those systems, you don't have it. Right. And, and I think a lot of triathletes and I think a lot of triathlon coaches, too, unfortunately, kind of neglect this skill set because it is, it is a lot different. And for someone like me, I've never really had a lot of speed in any of the sports I've done. I've just kind of always been an endurance athlete, even playing soccer and basketball and things like that. I was never going to, you know, steal a ball and, and get a breakaway in any sport. It was more that I could play the game. Right. And so now as a 31 year old and never really having speed, I can't out sprint some of the 11 or 12 year olds on our junior team. Just because even though I've been doing these types of workouts, my top end speed just still isn't there. And so I think 
as you get older, you realize how quickly it goes away. And that if we can maintain that longer, that's going to, you know, just increase your ability to go faster at those, you know, make your moderate intensity faster later in life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing how the different energy systems support each other. You can't have one that controls everything, but each energy system, at least how I've come to understand it, um, just helps contribute a little bit to each other. Uh, and it's important not to neglect one. And I've been very neglectful of the high end stuff. So uh, I look forward to doing more of those. Uh, I don't think I can do more than one of them on the run a week uh, or maybe two on the bike. Is that, I mean, does that make sense? Is that kind of what you normally see for athletes? Yes. I, th I think that's enough, especially for the age trooper that's not used to it. One, once a week on the run is probably enough from a safety perspective. And so sometimes during this point in the year, we will, once we start to kind of introduce that VO2 phase, we might have two quality runs, but I'll have an athlete say one day they'll do 60 meter sprints. And then the other days they'll do 200 meters kind of cruisy. And so I try to, you know, again, the, we don't get to race short, short distance running races as adults. They're just not as readily available, but I try to have people run at what they imagine is their mile race pace. So for 200 meters, it's fast, but it's also very manageable. And then we might break that into chunks. So like miniature sets of, you know, four sets of two to three by 200 meters at mile race pace with 30 seconds rest. So you're running fast and we're thinking about that form and it's really just long enough that you can, you're feeling the fatigue, but it's short enough that you can maintain your, your form and your technique. And I think one more thing before we move on, uh, on the run, and this might tie into one of the questions you've got, uh, for later in the episode, if you are able to do your sprints on, on the grass with no shoes on. I think you would be amazed at how fast you feel and how much better your technique is everywhere, upper body, lower body, because I think we, especially triathletes, they've got these big, you know, clunky shoes and they, you know, maybe they're carbon, maybe they're not, but I think the more time you can spend running in a, a minimal shoe is at least for little spurts here and there, especially for your fast running is good for you. And so when I do my fast workouts, if I can do them in the grass, I'll do them in the grass. And I also have a 15 year old pair of spikes that I will even break out to do them in just because I can feel the ground a little bit better than I can in my trainer. And so if you can, if you can feel the ground, it'll help you get up kind of forward on your foot and, and just feel fast. And it'll probably strengthen a lot of your lower leg muscles and, and it's good, good for your, your legs that way to your legs and your feet to kind of have a minimal shoe to do your fast running in. That is a hot topic, Keith. It um, is. Shoe talk. All right, there's so yeah. many people that would disagree with you and so many people that will agree with you right now. Um, you're right. I, I do want to ask you a question related to that a little bit later on, but maybe that's, an, again, another conversation for a, a podcast of its own. It's just shoe talk and, and the right shoe for the right workout in the right setting. So um, very interesting. I've never considered taking my shoes off for a workout before. Not sure that I will yet. I don't know if I have that strength in my feet, ankles, or lower leg muscles to do that yet, but, but very interesting train of thought. You might oh, have you snow know. on the ground up there too. <laughs> It'll be, <laughs> yeah, you get to ice your feet while you work out. It's, it's a great benefit. 
of living up here. So, but one thing you kind of alluded to is strength in some of the lower leg muscles, but how about strength overall? Um, and we've, we've integrated strength training into my training program weeks ago, kind of more on the off season period. Um, tell me though, is this like, is this normally when we integrate strength training into a training program or how does, if so, how does this work and how does it look different than what we might see in other parts of the year? So I, I do really like to incorporate strength training all year round. And so it depends on the athlete and their, what they're comfortable with one. And then I think what they're physically familiar with is the, the second part. And so I always want to progress strength training to, to a point where most of our workouts or most of our exercises are fairly ballistic. And so we're jumping or throwing or doing things like that. But a lot of people might not necessarily be comfortable with that. So we do need to progress slowly. And so this time of year, if, if someone is new to strength training, we'll integrate work in where they're doing higher reps and, you know, a little less weight. And again, higher reps in the strength training world is like eight. I know lots of people, at least when you and I were kids, they would, there was talk, you know, higher reps is like 20 plus mm-hmm. higher reps is really eight to 10 is, is a lot, you know, cause at that point, that's when you're starting to get into the where you're going to bulk up. And I think that's another uh, misconception that's out there is that you get bulkier by doing heavy lifting, but you actually get bulkier by doing higher reps because you're actually breaking the muscle down more. So it has more to build back from. Whereas if you want to get strong and stay smaller, then we need to be doing really intense, really low reps. And so um, the athletes that I have that are kind of in, I don't want to say the final stage of strength training, but if you know, I have a few athletes that I've been working with now for four or five years or longer. And we've gotten to the point where off season, they kind of do a little bit more higher reps because it's, it's a different stress on the body and we mix it up. But then in season, we're doing things that are so high intensity that it's one to three reps. And that's kind of what we're looking for. You know, an athlete that can do a really high box jump and they do two of them in quick succession, just like bang, bang, but then they're done. And they're really tired because it was, that was it. Right. Um, kind of the same thing, maybe a pull-up with added weight, you know, they can have a weight belt. They do one, two really fast pull-ups and then they're done and it's high intensity and we're getting really strong, but we're not going to get bigger because we're not doing lots of reps. And so this time of year, I like to keep the strength training fairly simple. Um, especially since maybe, you know, I don't know where everyone does their strength training. I typically do mine outside if it's lower body. And so I don't really want to be jumping around as much outside. So we might be inside and you might not have the facilities to do jumping and kind of mini sprints and things like that inside. And so for me, it's more of the traditional, this time of year, we're doing Olympic lifts and and more basic things. And then we'll progress to the more complex exercises once we get into the season. I love the Olympic type lifts. I love lifting heavy. Um, even though I don't do it a lot, I should do it more because I'd, I'd love to also look a little bit better with my shirt off. So, um, typical cyclist body, there's not a whole lot going on. Um, and we'll the, do some higher shoulders. Shoulders you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll switch the to the higher reps. Is rep work not me. enough there. Uh, okay, cool. You know, one thing that I, I want to just confess as well is this part of the season 
the, the biggest challenge I see, um, and maybe it's different from what other people work through or what you hear from other athletes, Keith is like this part of the season, it's hard to just keep motivation consistent. Like for me, I love that workout on the calendar that you look at and you're just like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can hold that power, but I just cannot wait to go after it. Sometimes this part of the year, and maybe it's a combination of things. One, the season's over, just got out of the off season, kind of getting back into things. It's also, we're approaching the holidays. There's a lot of other things happening in life, but like, I have a hard time keeping motivation up. Do you see that from other athletes? Um, and like, how do, how do you work through it? Oh, for sure. And I, th- I think that's really common. I think we all feel that a, l- a little bit. And there, I think there are two sides of the motivation dip that we have to look out for, because I think there is what you're talking about. It's the season's over. We might still be feeling some fatigue, you know, or we're thinking about the holidays. It's getting cold. You know, you get up in the morning. Do you want to go jump in the pool when it's 40 degrees outside and it's just still dark? You know, that's not, everyone feels that. But I, I do think that you need to be careful, especially as you start to ramp training up, that the motivation dip isn't because of too much fatigue, right? Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that we're not overtrained and that's where the motivation dip is from. We need to just make sure that it's it's all of the outside stuff. You know, it's that Thanksgiving is a few weeks away. Hey, I'm about to get a few days off work, you know, and it's easy to kind of slide into that comfortable, you know, period of time between now and and really January, I think where we get up in the morning and it's pretty easy to just have a cup of coffee and relax because it's cold outside and we don't really want to go work out. Yeah. Um, So that's where being comfortable with your trainer, you know, all that kind of stuff comes in right now too. And, and I think benchmarks along the way. And so if you do feel that motivation kind of start to drop, Maybe talk to your coach and say, hey, let's put this benchmark on the on the calendar by December 1st. I want to be able to do this by January 1st. I want to be able to do this. Kind of use that as the carrot, right, as you're going. So it gives you something to shoot for during okay. this time of year. Okay, let's yeah. talk more about that. And then I think there's probably a lot more to evaluate here because um, motivation dips happen in the off season. They happen base build. And then also when you're trying to get race specific, uh, and I'd love to share more about my own personal experience with that and, and kind of how to counter that as best as possible. So let's, let's hold some of that for a future episode and, yep. and, and we'll share a bunch of that detail with everyone to come. Um, but sorry, go ahead, Keith. I, I think the, the last part of this that we want to talk about was maybe uh, which, what, what your base should look like. How do you, how do you know? if you need to be in the more traditional base or if you want to be kind of in, in this higher intensity base. And uh, this is something that with a, with a newer athlete, I would say probably lean toward the traditional base. And the, my reasoning for that is that I think the, the lower structure and just spending time doing the three sports is probably better than trying to go fast necessarily. So if you are, if you are someone that's, very new to triathlon or very new to whatever endurance sport you're in. And, and these are the people that you're signed up for a half Ironman say, and you just want to finish, then you're better spending time making sure that you can get through the workouts comfortably. But I think that adding in that speed is something that once you're comfortable, even if it's just maybe you've been training for a year, 
that adding in the speed just kind of makes things a little bit different. And it gives you something else to think about too during the workouts, especially at this time when there aren't races, it gives you something else to focus on. And so I think that probably the more advanced you are as an athlete, the greater the need for the speed during the off season. And then I think for the newer athletes, it's more volume, a little less speed at, at this time of year. Thank you, Keith, for calling me advanced. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I've ever been in the advanced athlete bucket. So uh, Michael, didn't cool. you, you did listen to the first episode, right? I think you said you've been doing this for 12 years. So yeah, but I never put, I would never put myself in that bucket just, um, just from where I've come from and, and kind of my current and just how I perceive my skill set. I never would ever put myself in that bucket. So cool. Um, with all of that, we've talked a ton about pace training. Uh, let's talk about a weekly workout, Keith. What do you, what do you have for the listeners? So I think what we want to do with our weekly workout is I'm going to kind of just discuss something that I've prescribed to an athlete in the, since the last episode. And that way we can kind of use it in the context of what we're talking about and why we did this workout. And so I'm going to uh, give you a fun one that we did on Thursday with our youth and junior team. And this one might be a little bit harder to replicate, but it is something that I think is overlooked also by age groupers. And so uh, we're going to we're going to post a video of this on our on our social media. So take a look for that. Um, but we have this little parking lot that we do some of our practices in, and it's maybe about 80 meters long or so. And we had our junior athletes out there the other day and uh, my assistant coach and I, we would, we held them in a track stand and then let them go. And they would sprint the length of this parking lot, uh, just to get that neuromuscular sprint and, and going from a stop, uh, forces them to accelerate and push really, really high power for those first couple seconds. And then they're just flying after that. And so if you're able to simulate something like that, that, when you do these sprints, it's pretty easy to do them on the bike and say, Oh, I'm rolling and I'm going to start the next one right now. And you're already going 12 or 15 miles an hour or faster. But if you start them from a dead stop, it's amazing what those first two or three seconds feel like on your legs, uh, because you've got to push so hard to get up to speed. And so we did a few sprints from a stop and then, um, our, this parking lot is kind of a, an oval. And so we had them after, after a couple straight line sprints, we had them go out and back. And so they had to make the U-turn. Um, and so they would sprint to the other end, U-turn coming back. And then just to add some tri more triathlon specific skill to it, they had to take their shoes off on the way back. And then we had a transition into the run and then they did a short 50 meter sprint on the run. So it was almost like they did probably a seven or eight second sprint on the bike. They got maybe 15, 20 seconds of recovery and then did an eight or 10 second sprint on the run. And so that's something you can kind of incorporate into your training. It makes it fun. You're getting a neuromuscular workout and you're practicing transitions, which is probably the number one most overlooked thing I think for age groupers is how much time you can save in transition if you're good at it. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. our, that was our workout this week. We did um, about four or five of each. We did four or five just uh, on the bike and then four or five bike and run. That sounds really cool and fun uh, and worthwhile because my transitions are terrible. So maybe I will look to do that at some point next year. 
hard to do right now because I don't have anywhere to yeah. do it outside. But at some point when I can get back outside, that's definitely something I'll look forward to maybe mix in. I need to be better at transitions. Um, all right, let's 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 switch topics now to another kind of new segment for us. Again, if you have any questions that you'd like us to incorporate into the show, maybe it's not the main or focal segment for one of our podcasts, but a question you'd like to ask us, reach out to us on any of our social medias uh, or post something with hashtag try faster. We'll make to, we will make sure to look through all those and apply any questions that you have. Uh, and this is the segment that we will include those questions in going forward. So kind of the off topic questions, Keith, I have two for you. Um, you kind of alluded to one uh, earlier, but um, I just got a, a new pair of, and we, I don't want to go into all the shoe debate, but a, a carbon sold shoe, uh, running shoe. And it's not necessarily a shoe that I would consider as a primary racing shoe, but something that I got just to use in my training um, for different workouts. And my question is, should we be using carbon plated shoes in our training? Yes or no? Yes, but sparingly. I think is my, my answer. So it's a little bit of both. I know that's a cop-out answer, but I think that the carbon plates do help with recovery. They do, you know, lessen the impact. They absorb some of the energy that your legs would be taking. But at the same time, I think that for some people running in a shoe with a lot of drop is not necessarily good for the bottom of your foot. And so um, I had some plantar fasciitis 20, it was all of basically all of 2020. I ran a half marathon last February and then I had plantar fasciitis until about November. And basically to make it go away is all I did was run in zero drop shoes for two weeks straight and that was it. And it was gone. Um, but I was racing a reasonable amount and I was doing a lot of my quality runs in carbon shoes and just switching back to zero drop and making my feet work a little bit made the plantar fasciitis go away and it hasn't come back. So, yeah. Key workouts or where do we, I think you're saving for your key workouts. I don't necessarily think you need to sprint in them again. Like I said earlier, I think the optimal is sprinting with no shoes, but you know, if you're doing a longer run or a longer tempo run, it doesn't hurt. I think it'll save, save your quads a little bit, but I think that the flip side is make sure that for every run you do in those carbon shoes, do a run in a more minimal shoe, do some exercises at home to strengthen your feet, strengthen your calves, things like that. Um, because they're not getting the same amount of work that they should. Okay. All right. Uh, second question I have for you, sweat testing question comes up predominantly because you got one of those Gatorade sweat patches and there's other brands out there. There's other methods of doing it um, from 70.3 worlds. Should we do it? Is there value in sweat testing to understand how much sweat or how salty your sweat is when you work out? So I don't, I don't, I've seen it both ways. I think a lot of athletes think that it's beneficial to kind of dial in their electrolyte balance. But I, I almost think that less important than the sweat content is the sweat volume. So I think if you're, if you want to get a sweat test, if you can, it's not super expensive usually to have it done, it doesn't hurt. But to me, I think knowing how much sweat you're trying to replace is probably the biggest part of it. Um, and then again, beyond the electrolytes is the actual calories, calories in calories out. So, I mean, if you're using a power meter, 
on the bike and if you're using especially a stride power meter on the run you can calculate your calories out almost exactly and so that's that's another point i think maybe we'll talk about that in a in a future episode that uh, we can you can dial in what you need to come in because you know for sure if you're going to hit a deficiency especially if you're not um, efficient at burning fat then you need to know exactly how many calories are going out so that you can put put as many of them back as you can okay yeah good good follow-up it would be like hey what's the where's the where should the focus be um, yeah. sweat and salt versus nutrition and how you balance calories that you're able to bring in. So probably a really good conversation to have later in the year when everyone's trying to think about how you plan for that coming into a key race. Yeah. So, uh, maybe and, we'll, uh, maybe um, we'll put that on the side and we'll have a, a separate conversation on that. Yeah. And on the shoe topic, I think, I think everyone has seen that recent study that was done on the super shoes. Uh, the guy that did that, we raced against in college. He went to Texas A&M. So maybe we can get him on the show and uh, talk to him about super shoes and what his opinions are and how they're, how that study went. And how efficient they are. They are more efficient. For sure. So we can't deny that. It's just how do you, how do you use them? How do you make sure you're ready to race in them and have a good feel for them? So, okay. Very yep. cool. Thank you, Keith. Let's flip the let's flip it over to the new side of the show because, as we mentioned at the onset, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, over the last ten days since we last discussed news, Keith, Ironman Florida, um, probably the the key one. So let's dive into there. That was an amazing race, and I will actually give what well, mo- pretty good coverage. Um, pretty good coverage. Ironman was able to provide. Uh, let's talk the men's side first neither of us were, were surprised. I was hoping that Lionel was able to hold off Gustav Eden. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. We did get Cameron Worth there. That was the main question that we weren't sure. Was Cameron Worth going to show up or not? How is he going to fare? Worth did not. Uh, I don't believe he finished the bike with the lead pack. He came into transition and never started the run. Uh, so Worth didn't finish. Um, and the battle, it was a battle, Keith. What did you what did you make of the battle between Gustav Eden and Lionel Sanders? I think it was exactly what we envisioned was going to happen. Um, I think the only thing that was maybe a little bit different was that Lionel was able to keep up in the swim. And so it would be interesting to know if he kept up in the swim because the the conditions weren't very good. And I also heard it was about 400 meters long, which that would have told us Lionel would have been farther behind, but he came out within a few seconds of them. And so it'd be interesting to know if no one wanted to lead the swim and so it was slow and that's why Lionel was able to hang on or if he was just uh, able to muscle his way through the bad conditions and hang on. Um, And so I think you and I probably both thought that Lionel was going to catch up on the bike, but he was right there the whole time. And so uh, I think that probably showed us that Gustav is pretty strong on the bike because I don't think that Lionel would have felt super confident that he could outrun Gustav head to head. And so the fact that Gustav was able to sit in on, on the bike and, and stay in there was pretty impressive. And then to go yeah. around some 600 miles after that. Yeah, uh, it was incredible to start. I don't know. I have a different take on it. One, I just think the swim was tough for everybody. Um, and Gustav can swim faster, but I don't think he can, I don't think he could decimate the field and he didn't want to be out by himself. Um, that's just my take on it. Like there's no benefit to him 
taking the lead and getting out on the bike early. Cause you know, it's going to get caught uh, by the, by the train of bikers that are coming out. I was watching some of the videos that are posted online. Lionel averaged 320 on this bike ride. Yeah. He's okay. a big guy. But he, he's like 165 pounds, 160 pounds, depending upon where he's racing. I think somewhere in there, it's a ton of power. They were flying on the bike. And you can look at Gustav Eden. I think he was like 260, 270 on the bike. Smaller guy. That is a drastic difference in power, though. Uh, and here, here's my only criticism, I guess, of Gustav Eden. We knew what he was going to do strategy-wise, and he did it to a T. But it was kind of frustrating to watch the coverage, watch the recap videos. And what we saw at the front of the race was Lionel and Worth taking the majority of the polls. We saw Robert Callan assisting in there at times. And then toward the end of the bike, he actually went off the front, I believe. So that the majority of the work throughout the whole bike was done by those guys. And Gustav Eden, I don't think we saw him at the front of the race. So he sat in, he benefited from the legal draft position, conserved his energy and stayed arrow as he could be and completed the bike, a very hard bike with significantly less energy than his competitors potentially. Yeah. I don't but know. I also, it's like a criticism, but also a compliment. I think that we all probably, that everyone should kind of recognize is like, there wasn't any benefit to being on the front of that bike train. Right. And I think it's one of those things where everyone knows that he's the fastest runner. So I feel like he shouldn't have to work on the bike if he doesn't yeah. want to. Um, I think it's their responsibility to try to drop them, drop him if, uh, if they feel like they can't run with him. I, so. it, I agree. They should. Um, but it's like, it, you know, go, go back to the, what the seventies, right. Or so, um, hopefully I got the decade, right. Steve Prefontaine, everyone loves Steve, Steve Prefontaine because he got out there and went as hard as he could. Like, that's why I love watching Worf and I love watching Lionel Sanders and I want to love Gustav Eden. Uh, cause I know he's going to be the future of the sport, right. Very clearly. I mean, he went seven forty-two in Florida and I don't think that he was really pushed. Like this guy can easily go under seven thirty is kind of my takeaway. Um, but like, we're not going to see him push it on the bike. He's, he's going to, he's going to play the race more strategically than any athlete that we really see so far. Yeah. And what I'm excited about is to see him race Jan because I, I don't think that he's going to come out of the water within a minute of Jan in an Ironman. And so he's going to have to push the bike next time or, or, he's going to have to run really fast. And so I think either one of those will be interesting to see if he yeah. tries to catch up on the bike or if he just waits and hopes that he runs a few minutes back. And so we need to, we need to see this yeah. Gustav and so, battle at some point. Yeah, I, I absolutely want to see that as well. So just kind of for the summary of the men's side of the race, Robert Callan went off the front. I think he went into transition almost a minute out yeah. of the main field, had to take a bathroom break, went out onto the run with Lionel and Gustav quickly faded backward because Lionel and Gustav were going less than five or less, excuse me, less than six minute miles for the first handful, first half marathon. Uh, Lionel wasn't able to hold that, but I mean, it was just epic to see these two battling it out uh, at that pace. And for the finish, I mean, Gustav finished the race with a two thirty four in a yeah. marathon. And I, and he was only, really being pushed for the first half of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'll be exciting to see what he can he can do. Uh, in I mean, it's crazy, and he's That's still totally young crazy. enough. He could get faster. <laughs> he can he can get faster. I mean, I think he'll he can compete with Jan um, if he can be close coming off the bike. Yeah. That'll that'll be the big key. Um, big kudos to Lionel. A two forty in the marathon, I believe, is his fastest marathon in an Ironman ever. So he's putting the pieces together. His second half was slower than the first. It's probably super hard to negative split a marathon in an Ironman. Uh, but I mean, he's figuring it out, right? Yeah. And if if the swim would have been a little bit faster, maybe maybe if they had a little bit extra horsepower. I mean, a, a seven forty eight by Lionel. I think he's got room to get faster than that. Goose I've eaten 742. I think Goose I've eaten is going to be a 730 in the right race type of environment athlete in the future. So really cool stuff to see. Yep. Um, and then on the women's side, Heather Jackson, um, she was a little ways down after, but she had the fastest ride and the fastest run, I believe, and uh, got herself back up to the front and, and she won pretty comfortably in the end. So it was nice to see her back on top and then she got her um kona spot right from that race or did she yeah she got her kona spot at florida um and then the second spot on the women's side actually went to laura zimmerman because sky munch already had her spot Mm -hmm. uh from earlier so um well it'll be interesting to see too we uh where heather jackson is on the start list for cozumel is that right and it so it'll be interesting to see if she, yeah. if she comes back and we'll, we'll touch on that here in a few minutes. She has no reason uh, to be there. We'll touch on that in a second, but yeah, huge race by Heather Jackson. She was, I think nine, eight minutes at the start of the bike down from the leaders. Like yeah. I discounted her. Like she's out of the race already. Um, yeah. I, and I'm like, well, she's tired. She raced the last couple weekends. Um, okay. This just wasn't the right race for her. Um, but she battled back the fastest bike the fastest run. She wasn't in the lead coming off the bike. She didn't make up all that ground. She was just consistent off on the bike and then clicked it off on the run. Truly an impressive performance. And yeah, one for the ages. Yep. So I know for sure, Michael, you got up really early and watched the, uh, the, the WTS race in uh, Abu Dhabi last week. I'm still tired from it, Keith. <laughs> so uh, for those of you that got up really early, there was the, the second race of the 2022 World Triathlon Championship uh, took place uh, in the Middle East at last, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. And nothing super surprising. I don't think there were a lot of big names out there, um, but uh, Yelly Haynes got the win on the men's side. He was one of the guys that was one of the favorites going into the Olympics and then ended up testing positive for COVID the week of. So he ended up not getting to race the individual race. So it was nice to see him win. Uh, Vincent Lewis finished second. And then a young uh, young Hungarian guy, Bense Bishak, ended up third. Um, the other big story, I think Tyler Mislachuk, he had a torn Achilles earlier this year and then already came back and finished sixth. Um, so that's a pretty big performance. And then if we're looking for the Americans, uh, Morgan Pearson was the first American down in uh, 24th. And so... And not, not a, probably not the day that he was looking for, but I think that he's kind of packed it in for the year. So I don't know that he was really expected to be a big contender out there anyway. Here's my real only question from this race. Does this mean we're going to see Vincent Lewis in 70.3 worlds next year? I sure hope so. I really hope so too. 
he's never been there, right? Not yet. Yeah, I like I'm I'm waiting for him to step up to like some real 70.3 competition. I think it'll, it'll be really cool to see. I heard a rumor that he might be going to Indian Wells. Oh, that'd be neat. So we'll see. Maybe we'll get to see happens. him again. Yeah, yeah, let's see if he let's see if he shows up there. Um if if he's on the start list and remains on the start list. Yeah. And uh then on the women's side, your favorite athlete, we got to see Lucy Charles race her first ever sprint triathlon, believe it or not. Um the uh, the women's race was won by Flora Duffy, who was the Olympic champion. She won uh, fairly comfortably by about 12 seconds. Uh, Georgia Taylor Brown, she was the silver medalist at the Olympics. She got second. And then Sophie Coldwell from Great Britain got third. Lucy Charles was with that lead group and then got dropped immediately on the bike. And so you know, I'm interested to see what she does the next couple of years because she was 12th, which if I was ever 12th in a world triathlon championship series race, I would be over the moon. Uh, but she was only the seventh British athlete in 12th. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, so, I don't know why she's doing this honestly, because she has so much potential in long course. Uh, it's cool to see her try to step down to this short course stuff and draft legal stuff. But it's also like, I hope, I hope these are just building blocks for her on the long course side. And it's not the other way around. Cause I love watching her on the long course events. That's my yep. take, but she's young enough. She's only 28. So she could, uh, she could go through this next Olympic cycle and then come back and it would be okay. Um, and a couple of the women ahead of her, I bet Jess Learmonth is born in 88, non Stanford, 89, Vicki Holland, 86. So maybe that's mm-hmm. a few bigger names that are going to move out of short course by the next Olympics. But uh, the British team is always really competitive. So Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, but our, the, uh, the first American on the women's side was Taylor Nib. Um, probably the most impressive American woman this year, not to take anything away from Katie Zafiris's uh, bronze medal at the Olympics, but Taylor Nib has been probably the breakout star for the U S this year. She's just 23 and she's already had a pretty awesome year. She took a flyer on the bike, tried to get away. Uh, she wasn't able to stay away. But for somebody that young, and she's in the mix, she got a couple big wins this year. I'm I'm excited to see where she goes to. So um, other results, I do want to touch on Junior Worlds. It wasn't. Uh, I know these are a lot of the names we're going to see coming up over the next few years, but I just kind of wanted to shout out our Americans. Uh, Nick Holmes was uh, 19th, and he was the first American on the men's side. And then one of our Texans, Faith Dasso, she was 23rd and she was the first American on the women's side. So uh, pretty cool to see, uh, see our, our youngsters at uh, junior worlds. Um, so what's next? Just some news, no more results. Uh, yeah, no more results. Huge news coming out of Germany. Sebastian yeah. Keenley. This is going to be his last year. He said at 20, he said 2022 was going to be his last real year, and then he's going to take a a tour of all the races he wants to do in 2023. And then he said he's going to hang it up and never do another triathlon. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I buy that or not. But I, I did see. So he did a gravel race. Oh my god, this just keeps coming up, Keith. You need a gravel bike. <laughs> he did a gravel race a couple weeks ago. Um, so, so yeah, maybe he's just deciding to get into other avenues of endurance sport. Yeah. Yeah. It might be, he's, he's still young enough. I think he's younger than Ferdano, right? So he could still be doing this for a while if he wanted to, but yeah, that'll be, it'll be fun to see what he does in 2022. Cause I think he's, 
probably one of the best personalities we've had, you know, this in the, uh, the 2010s decade, I think. So, yeah, I mean, and the only thing is like, so if you're a newer fan of triathlon, maybe you don't recognize his name quite as much. Uh, and you know, starting in 2010, I mean, he's been around for a long time. Um, but yeah, he has a, a, a great personality, been around a long time and 2014 probably a Ironman champion. Yeah. yeah tw- probably a favorite of, of many triathletes. Um, he doesn't have quite the social media presence as some of the big names do nowadays, but if anyone deserves kind of a, a goodbye tour, I think Sebastian Keenley is the type of guy that deserves that. So 2022, if he's racing hard and, and then 23, he gets to do all the races he wants to do. I hope one of those will be here in North America. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, so I think the, the next piece of news, the, did you hear the, announcement about race ranger over the weekend you gotta fill me in i'm not sure okay so uh, a couple former pros dylan mcneese and james elvery have announced their company race ranger and you know the the uh governing body that they partnered with is actually world triathlon not iron man but this is some anti-drafting equipment and so i think what their their fundamental platform here is that you need to have they'll it's something that will connect to your stem and then it will you'll also have one on your seat post and whenever you are coming up on the athlete in front of you the theirs will change color depending on how close you are and so it's going to be able to record how much time you spend in the draft zone so uh, after pro races the referee can go back and see hey this guy spent a lot of time in the draft zone um I think the plan is not to give penalties based on the race ranger, but they're going to use them as a tool to kind of see what's happening out on the race course. And then so that the athletes also have a visual guide of how close they really are to the athlete in front of them, because Mm -hmm. the drafting zone is kind of a gray area and Mm -hmm. it's up to the discretion of the referee, whether or not you're in it too long or if you're actually in it at all. And so this will be, I think this will be a nice tool. Yeah. I, I hope we never see it in the age group realm because sometimes courses are just too packed but in the professional ranks i think it's necessary probably um, yep. at least some degree we need to clean it up a little bit to make sure racing is fair especially especially if we're going to have races like florida where people are going to be strategic and just play that drafting zone let's make sure they're doing it fa- fairly and not crossing the lines right. so um all right and, and then to kind of close things out we have one race preview that we want to dive into a couple iron mans happening over the next weekend but we're, let's talk about cozumel um and, and most importantly a, a big iron man debut going on in mexico yeah. christian blumenfeld how fast do you think he's going to go well cozumel is a really fast course if they can have a, a good swim out there and so i mean he's going to go under eight for sure right and so maybe seven, definitely under eight. I think he is wants he, to be Gustav's time. So that, that's that was what he's my question. For. Is he going to try to be Gustav's time? Uh, yes. cause that is a pretty fast course. So we could see something really similar. Uh, as long as the weather cooperates, um, we could probably see something in the low seven forties, high seven thirties. If he really wants to, to put it down on the bike. Um, but there is a pretty I think, good start. Yeah. Race. Under seven forty two. I'll go under 742 and he's probably going to do most of it solo. And yeah. the reason he can go faster than Gustav is because I don't think the swim will be as hard. He's not going to swim a 58 minute. Swim. Yeah. He's going to swim 40. He might minutes. swim. Yeah. 
48 minutes. And then even though he might solo TT the bite, I think he'll be, he'll be fine and comfortable. Yeah. And a couple other big names on the list. Keenlay is on this one. Uh, Michael Weiss, Rudy Wild, Arnaud Guillou, and uh, Patrick Nielsen. Cameron Wirth, maybe, if he saved his legs by not maybe. running in Florida. You know, maybe there's a guy that can mix it up at the front. If he can bridge the gap to uh, Christian early enough, maybe Christian will get some help out there on the bike. So I think this will be, be really interesting to see. Watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know who to pick. So maybe we don't pick this one because Cameron Worth braced two weeks ago. Uh, Sebastian Keeley signed up for Cozumel and South Africa. Um, so this, this is just going to be hard to see who shows up, but definitely no, this is going to be Christian's race to lose. Yeah, I think so too. And then uh, on the women's awesome. side, um, we've got uh, Carrie Lester, Michelle Vesterby, Sarah Crowley, and uh, Heather Jackson's on this one, like we mentioned earlier, not really sure if she has a reason to do this. Uh, but if you look at the list, they, they do have missing numbers. So some, this is a, an updated list. We just don't know how, how updated it is. You know, maybe Heather Jackson's going to mm-hmm. go do it and go vacation in Mexico for a week. Uh, you know, you never know if she could yeah, take up a page like all she's done. for sponsor money. Like, yeah, I, I yeah. just don't know why she would want to do it. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a lot, we've got 57 men on the list and uh, about 30 women. So it should be, should be a fun race to watch and follow along. So I think that does it for, for this week. So thanks for tuning in. You have anything else, Michael? No, I, again, everybody, please feel free to shoot us any questions that you might have. It might be one of our main topics coming up in a later episode. Uh, and if not, if it's a shorter question, we'll put it in kind of our off topic, uh, question segment and we'll, we'd love to answer those for you so feel free to reach out to us in any avenue that you think's uh, appropriate we're, we're here to help you and, and here to answer anything that you might have yeah thanks for listening thanks everybody